Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and here we are at season two of the Chef-Timony podcast. Today's episode took me north on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia to a bakery with no sign out front where a wonderful couple is making wonderful things. Sourdough and coffee and pastries and... and let's get started. Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef Timoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. I'm really glad you've joined me today for episode 12, the first episode in the brand new season of the podcast. In the fall of 2017, my now fiancé and I bought a home in Gibsons, a small town on what's called the Sunshine Coast in British Columbia. The coast is actually a part of the mainland, but you can't drive there. It's separated from Vancouver by a 40-minute ferry ride. Gibsons is a wonderful place to live, as is the whole of the Sunshine Coast, and it's got a growing culinary scene. Vastly smaller than Vancouver's, of course, but there's a lot of great stuff going on. Sustainable farming and craft breweries and some really interesting restaurants are starting to pop up. A few weeks back, we were heading north on the coast to meet some friends for a hike, and we made a point of stopping at the Lone Wolf Bakery in Seashelt. Seashelt is a town a few miles up the road from Gibson's. I'd heard a lot about Lone Wolf, and I'd been following them on Instagram. So B, who's my fiancé, and I stopped in there, and we sampled some delicious croissants to sustain us through that hike. And while we were there, I introduced myself to Jacob, who was the lone person in the kitchen, busying himself with dough and with ovens. And Jacob's a really friendly guy. He accepted my invitation to be on Cheftimony. And so the next weekend, B and I went back, this time loaded up with recording gear. What you're going to hear next is my interview with the two people behind Lone Wolf Bakery, Jacob and Jenna. They're partners in business and in life, and it's their combined efforts that have created this really wonderful spot on the Sunshine Coast. Jenna and Jacob have both been involved in the culinary world for years, Jenna having worked mostly front of house and Jacob mostly back of house in the kitchen. And what I found really interesting is that neither of them was a baker before opening Lone Wolf. And in less than a year, they're running a successful operation that's putting out some amazing product. You'll hear that the name of Lone Wolf Bakery comes both from the way that Jenna and Jacob have lived their lives, but also from their desire to do something different, to create something that didn't exist before on the Sunshine Coast. So at Lone Wolf, Jenna and Jacob don't make fluffy white bread with soft crusts. They don't bring anything frozen in. They don't bring anything pre-made in. What they are making are wonderful pastries and naturally leavened bread. And the customers on the Sunshine Coast are appreciating what they do. For the vast majority, I think there's a, a pretty big and growing community of people here that understand what we're doing already, uh, and we're, we're thankful that we were here. Uh, the amount of people that have come in and ab- like actually said thank you for doing this, uh, I don't think would happen in a big city. It's not always an easy process, though, because not everyone is open to change from what has been available, that fluffy white bread, to what they can now get at Lone Wolf, real naturally leavened bread that has a serious crust on it. But Jenna and Jacob have been encouraged not to give in to any skeptical customers. The very same day that someone will come in and complain about the crust being too thick, uh, we'll have a 75-year-old European woman literally telling us not to change what we do for people with soft teeth. She, she was like, don't change your bread for people with weak teeth. I'm really happy that Lone Wolf Bakery is not changing their bread. The two owners are far too committed to doing what they want to do and in the way they want to do it for that to happen. Lone Wolf is not going to be a cookie cutter bakery. Very intentionally, Jenna and Jacob want the shop to evolve throughout the day. So not everything is going to be available when you first walk in in the morning. 
But at the same time, if you leave it too late in the afternoon, they might well be sold out of bread for the day. Lone Wolf produces real products that take time to make and they have a limited shelf life. Go in and sample what they have when you're there. Whatever it is, I know you're going to like it. And in addition to their food, Jacob and Jenna are very thoughtful about what they want to create with their business, from work-life balance for their employees to building community on the Sunshine Coast. For Lone Wolf, everybody has to win. That's themselves, their employees, their suppliers, customers, and the community itself. That's a recipe for a lot of long hours and a lot of long days, but it's also inspiring to see talented people doing things right. Oh, and speaking of talented people, this is one of the things I'm really loving about Cheftimony, the opportunity to find out about people doing amazing things that I just wouldn't have expected. So I find people to interview about food, but of course people who are impressive in one aspect of their life are usually impressive in others too. And toward the end of my time at Lone Wolf, I found out something really cool about one of its owners. Oh my goodness, are you serious? Um, Amazing! (laughs) So join me now on a sunny Saturday from the center of the kitchen at Lone Wolf Bakery in Seashelt, British Columbia. Here's my talk with Jenna and Jacob. Okay, well, here we are on a, an absolutely gorgeous Saturday afternoon in Seashelt, British Columbia on the Sunshine Coast. I'm super happy to be sitting literally in the base of operations here at Lone Wolf Bakery with Jenna and with Jacob. Let's start out with some background, and, and either or both of you, please chime in with an answer. How how long have you been on the Sunshine Coast, and, and what brought you to Seashell? I grew up here, so I grew up in Roberts Creek, and then uh, actually moved away for about 15 years, at which point Jacob and I decided that we would want to move back. After living here for about a year, we uh, decided that there was still... Uh, Still no good bread, still no good coffee, <laughs> and we would actually take a trip into the city to uh, to get all those those goods. Sure. Um, and that was when we started the idea of opening a space. Nice. And tell me a little bit more about the time. So in between growing up in Roberts Creek and then and then going away, what were you and Jacob up to, and where were you before you came back to the Sunshine Coast? Well, Jenna and I got together about ten years ago, so. Before that 10-year period, I'm not completely certain about what was going on. Uh, <laughs> the la- the but, last 10 years is good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The last 10, we've been uh, traveling a lot, mostly within our own country, on a pretty regular basis, picking up and relocating from one corner of the country to the other, spending time in Vancouver, uh, Toronto, Ottawa, Halifax, Montreal. Yeah, just... just kind of looking for that home that we think we've found here, looking for that community that we're now in the process of uh, contributing to and building. What is your background prior to opening Lone Wolf in the culinary business? Personally, uh, mostly cooking throughout the country, like I said, Uh, spending lots of time in kitchens, a bit of other things mixed in there as well. Um, But food and food culture has always been an interest probably since I was maybe, I don't know, four or five years old, cooking uh, with mom in her kitchen and then moving on from there around 19 or 20, cooking professionally for probably about 10 years combined in uh, some pretty great restaurants across the country. Baking, I didn't think was that big of a stretch. It's kind of proved to be 
a bit of a different story. Sure. Uh, but that's all right. Challenges are uh, challenges bring out the diamonds. So, for myself, I was uh, primarily in the food and service industry as well, but primarily in the front of house. Yeah, I would say when Jacob and I got together, that kind of shifted for me, just really showing me that the back of house was just as important as the front of house. Um, the age-old argument. Totally, yeah. <laughs> not that it was, not that it's not as important or in my mind, I guess, I don't know, I just never, I never really saw myself in the back of house, but that, that has definitely shifted over the last 10 years. Okay. So just before we started recording today, the two of you were shaping loaves, and Jen, I saw you in there shaping loaves too, so what, but I've also seen you working the front of house here. So, so what's your role? Do you, do you cross both sides of the divide these days? Yeah. So originally when we opened, we uh, really had our kind of set, set positions, Jacob in the back, me in the front, and that, that worked for, for a while until it got a little too busy. Since then, we've we've brought uh, my sister on board with us, so she can really take care of the front, and I can bounce between both back of house and front of house now. Okay, yeah. so you're, you're seeing the whole of the operation. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a question, and and I'm even more intrigued having learned that, that the business really is a partnership between the two of you. Where, where does the name come from? Where does Lone Wolf come from? There's two meanings behind the the name The Lone Wolf. Uh, one being that we've both felt like lone wolves for the majority of our life. And the other that we wanted to create something that the pack wasn't already uh, doing here. So stepping away from the norm, we don't bring in frozen products, we don't bring in pre-made products. That's kind of been the norm on the Sunshine Coast for a while. And we wanted to create something that to us exemplified our values and so that was stepping away from what was being done how are you finding the transition and i'm you know what's resonating in my head because i'm very very old and i've listened to the cbc for decades was a <laughs> was a piece on cbc radio years ago where i think it was vicky gabbaro talking about vancouver in the 70s and when umberto mengi opened his first uh, restaurant which i guess was il giardino at the time mm-hmm. And she said back then in the 70s, like, risotto was this weird, exotic food that sort of threw Vancouver for a loop. So so how are you finding it introducing that ethic to the Sunshine Coast? And I know there, there are certainly some other places that, sh- that share some values, I'm going to guess. But, Absolutely. But, but I think it is um, a growing trend here. And, and how are you finding that? I know it's more difficult, it's more expensive to do things that way. How are you finding it and how are you finding the reception to it? We feel the Sunshine Coast was ready. Maybe not in the beginning when we first finally decided to open the door but it did it did prove to be that we filled a void that was the people the people wanted and craved for organic bread we didn't really know that maybe until we opened the door we were like okay if one percent of the sunshine coast is is happy and and wants what we have to offer then that'll that'll be okay well it'll be enough right Um, but it's proving to be to be much more than that Absolutely. It's in the very beginning, because what we're doing is different than what you're going to find in a, a supermarket up here. We don't make fluffy white bread uh, with soft crusts. There was definitely a few conversations about that with customers, but for the vast majority, I think there's a, a pretty big and growing community of people here that 
understand what we're doing already and we're thankful that we were here. The amount of people that have come in and ab like actually said thank you for doing this, uh, I don't think would happen in a big city the way it has happened here. So the transition from time to time, uh, there's a few soft-toothed people in the community that don't appreciate what we're doing. And in that, that same context, the very same day that someone will come in and complain about the crust being too thick, we'll have a 75-year-old European woman literally telling us not to change what we do for people with soft teeth. She, she was like, don't change your bread for people with weak teeth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which just validates what we're doing and, yeah, just kind of reinstills that what, uh, what we're doing is uh, appreciated. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to the bread in some detail, but before we do that, can you give the listeners a sense of, of the range of products you do? Because I know when we were in last week, and again, B is sitting out front enjoying an almond croissant, so I know those exist and I know they're incredible, but tell the listeners what, what is the range of products that you produce here at Lone Wolf? Basically, we wanted to open a place that would evolve throughout the day. In the morning, we're more of a cafe than anything else. Coffees, cappuccinos croissants, pan au chocolat, other laminated doughs, and then evolving into a lunch place. We do a few sandwiches. On any given day, we have maybe three to maybe seven different types of bread, ranging from country loaves to whole wheat to 100% rye Danish styles, uh, baguettes, focaccia, soon-to-be pizzas, uh, charcuterie, that sort of thing. If you're here after 12, you'll probably think we only make a couple types of bread. Because uh, <laughs> the rest has been sold already? That's it. But that's, uh, that's by design. So, yeah. Okay. And, and what does the schedule look like to produce all that? When do you guys roll in here in the morning? And how does that all happen? That's ever-evolving. Kind of like the bread itself and our product range. There have been some, some 12 o'clock starts, uh, midnight starts. There have been some one o'clocks, plenty of two o'clocks. I think three was probably the most consistent, but as we move forward, trying to transition into nothing earlier than five, which just requires a bit of education from our point of view to the customers that unlike perhaps other places, you can't come and get everything we do right when we open. Right. Um, and again, that's sort of by design because everyone deserves quality of life and moving forward to have uh, employees or people helping us, working with us. We want to give them quality of life and I don't think anyone deserves to, uh, to wake up at 3 o'clock consistently. <laughs> so I'm done doing it and uh, I'm not going to pay anyone else to do it either. One thing I've noticed, well noticed and I guess heard about more because I don't work actively in the culinary industry really anymore, but lots of my friends do. And friends who are owners, operators of restaurants in Vancouver talk about what a challenge it is to find employees, to find good help. And quality of life is something that comes up constantly, right, in the culinary world, because the hours can be brutal um, and it can start to be an unhealthy industry. So how are you finding that on the coast? Are you finding that you're able to, to get people who are, who are fitting into Lone Wolf? It's a family affair for a reason. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, in, in the very beginning, we were naively under the impression that uh, it would forever just be Jenna and I. And I guess it, in a sense, we could have kept it that way, but 
to offer what we'd like to offer in the range that we'd like to and to reach as far as we'd like to. We knew that it was important to bring other people on board, also to feed their lifestyle and their quality of life. I know from other people on the Sunshine Coast that yes, it is very difficult to find uh, to find employees up here. But again, that's that's why it's a family affair at this point, because what we're doing here is also growing and expanding and sort of has a life of its own. We need people around us that can support us and be understanding of the fact that there isn't necessarily a method to the madness at this point. And I think down the road, moving forward, operations like this tend to attract uh, a certain type of person to begin with. So we've had plenty of people offer to come in and stage or come in once a week. The amount of 60-year-old men that would like to volunteer a day of theirs a week here is, has definitely surprised me as well. How do you um, feel about 48-year-olds? <laughs> we're open to anything. It really is, the intention was to build community in doing this, which from a business standpoint maybe isn't always uh, something that's looked at when designing a business or a business model. But from our viewpoint, if, if every party in the equation doesn't win, then we're not a success. So we want to win. We want our community to win. Um, we want people coming in here to win. So yeah, I think moving forward, I don't actually imagine it being a struggle to find good employees because we want people working with us rather than for us as well. So being conscious of creating quality of life for those people is, is as important to us as the product that we sell. I would say we also don't make uh, Stephanie work <laughs> 10, to, 10 to 14 hours a, a day, uh, whereas we do. Um, she's, she's here for eight hours. Not that she's punching the clock, but uh, she's here for eight hours, and we do, we do the, the longer the longer, the longer shifts. Yep. Yeah, owner yeah. operator. That's a that's a standard story I yes. hear. It's a common yeah. story. Yeah. And Stephanie yeah. is your sister. I think. Yes, she yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell me just because I know nothing about pastry, but I see a dough sheeter machine here, and I'm 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 guessing that is how you do the lamination. Is that or is yeah. that that's yeah. how you prep the sheets? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So all of the pastries, the pound chocolat, the croissant, that's that's coming in through there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's basically like an industrial rolling pin that has the ability to sheet things to perfect thicknesses rather than uh, how we were doing when we opened, which was by hand. By hand. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's still, it's still, I'm, I'm still the one working the machine, but it's definitely yeah. uh, doing the vast majority of the work with me. Right. Speeds up the process. Yeah. Okay. Products. Let's talk about products briefly. Uh, where are you bringing them in? For, let's start with flour. Um, what are you using and, and where are you getting it? At the moment, we're using both Anita's and Nunwheeler's. So Anita's is milled in Chilliwack, and Nimwheeler's is milled at their farm in Saskatchewan. Both are uh, organic products. We're looking to work with a few other companies out of Vancouver, people that are milling to order, for example. Once we see the difference uh, there, we may even start milling our own uh, right. in small batches. Yeah. But yeah, looking for reliable sources is, uh, is always a bit of a struggle, finding a consistent product. But, but we know there's people out there like us basically just working working their asses off to, to create their products. So yeah, it'll be excited moving forward to, to work with companies like that. I think our, our repertoire of local ingredients uh, will continue to grow as we become more familiar with our own process. Vancouver Island Salt Company, our coffee 
is being roasted by a local uh, friend of ours that we met a few years back that wanted to get into coffee roasting, kind of got into it on his own, uh, and then through conversations with us has taken the plunge to pick up a, a legitimate coffee roaster and, and is now moving forward to, to partner with us and, and roast for us. So Nice. Uh, and are, are they local to the coast, to Seashell? Yes, to, yeah. Yeah, okay. they, yeah, they live in, uh, in Half Moon Bay. So yeah, that's again, that's a win-win-win, which is... That's the whole point, having partnerships with people that share the same ethos that we do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super inspiring. And uh, to have people want to be part of what we're doing again is, yeah, just it makes those 14-hour days seem like four-hour days. So that's good. At this point, we focused our talk on the fantastic bread that Jenna and Jacob make at Lone Wolf. That's the thick-crusted bread that their elderly customer praised them for, the bread that's not for people with weak teeth. Sourdough bread, naturally leavened bread, it's delicious and it's a lot of fun to make, but it does take time. Instead of using commercial yeast that's quite powerful, sourdough relies on natural yeast that's floating around in the air. If you take the time, you can culture your own sourdough starter by mixing flour and water and letting the yeast fall into it. It's not quite that simple, but look it up. There are endless resources on how to make a starter and how to make your own sourdough bread at home. If you'd like to learn more about it generally, there's a site called theperfectloaf.com that I find really helpful. And the book Tartine Bread from Chad Robertson at the Tartine Bakery in San Francisco is also going to have great information. And there are many, many accounts to follow on Instagram. I'd suggest Lone Wolf Bakery, for one. And another is at Stretch and Fold. That's the Instagram handle of my friend and former culinary colleague, Greg Sugiyama. Greg was a guest on episode six of the podcast. In my talk coming up now with Jacob and Jenna, you'll hear some terms that are well used in the sourdough world. We talk about the boule, that's a round loaf shape, and the batard, that's a longer loaf, good for making sandwiches. There's also the word, the term autolise, and that's just a technique of mixing ingredients, usually just flour and water, and letting them sit for a good long time to start to develop gluten. You'll also hear Jacob refer to turns, and that's a reference to the process of stretching and folding the dough. Sourdough is a really, really wet dough, very, very high hydration, so you can't knead it. Instead, bakers develop the gluten by doing a series of stretches and folds called turns. And now you know why Greg's Instagram account is called at stretch and fold. Let's head back now to the kitchen at Lone Wolf Bakery in Seashell to learn just how Jenna and Jacob make their bread. I know that you, you make both uh, boules, the round loaves, and batard, the more conventionally shaped bread. So tell me how that evolution started, because I, I'm pretty sure it was an evolution, that you started with boule and then felt a need or an advantage to introducing the batard as well. Yeah, uh, in the very beginning, the idea was that we would do both. Um, and it wasn't until we actually moved into the space and started baking here that the old revolving oven that was in here a few months ago, there's no way to control the humidity on it. So we were actually making all the bread in cast iron Dutch ovens. Wow, just um, just like I do for my two loaf a day production. That's it, <laughs> yeah. So, so doing anywhere from four to five or six loads uh, of that a day with an oven of 12 plus cast iron Dutch ovens. So for probably about seven or eight months, we were doing only bulls and that was, simply because we couldn't do a batard in a, a Dutch oven. 
since picking up a new uh, Bassanina, which is a deep earth, uh, deep earth oven from EM Bakery Equipment. Uh, super solid guys, a little plug for those. We're now doing both Bulls and Batards, and I think the move to Batard for a few of the loaves is just ease of, uh, ease of use from the customer's perspective. Again, the culture here isn't necessarily to eat bread just as bread that can stand on its own. People are using it for sandwiches, and it's, it's easier to cut even pieces with a, with a batard. We still get a few people that request the bull that are eating bread as bread is intended to be <laughs> eaten on its own sometimes. So yeah, it's, bread comes in, in balls and sticks. So that's, <laughs> that's just kind of the way it is. You pick, pick your weapon. Right. And, and what are you finding, Jenna, you'll probably be the, the best one to answer this. What, what are you finding the customer feedback and reaction to be? Is there a clear pe- preference between the two shapes? What's, what's moving best? At first, it was definitely, whoa, you guys changed your bread. <laughs> <laughs> what's this all about? Yeah. <laughs> what is this new shape? But now, I would say it's, it's pretty 50-50. Customers wanting half bulls, half batards. I would say we have some pretty uh, loyal whole wheat followers that really like the shape of the bull. They were quite disappointed when we moved to the batard uh, shape, but we've, we've since now, we're doing, doing a mix of batard and bull, and those avid whole wheaters are definitely happy to have their bull back. Have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the bread routine, and I know there has to be a routine because I do a little bit of home baking myself, and Jacob, you're speaking with a customer who had some questions just before we started recording and uh, explaining that what the customer sees today started had to start at least two days ago, maybe three days ago. So what can you tell us about, uh, let's start with the starter. What uh, yeah, do you use, uh, um, just describe your starter and maintenance and routine? So our starter is, uh, depending whether I'm using it for uh, baguettes or focaccia, or I'm using it for uh, batards and bulls that are have more wheat present in the dough. It's 100% hydration, so it's equal parts flour to water, and then I'm feeding it basically ratios of whether it's sifted or rye or whole wheat. I'm feeding it in relationship to the dough that it's, it's going to feed. So obviously more whole wheat for a whole wheat loaf. Our rye starter is 100% rye, and then if I'm using it for, like I said, the focaccia or the baguettes, it's primarily sifted um, with a little bit of spelt. Okay. And what, what does the timing look like? Like if we, if we walk back from when you put the loaves into the oven, what does the, what is the timing, what do the hours and, sure. and days look like? So that loaf going into the oven, we retard our loaves overnight, usually anywhere from maybe 12 to 15-ish hours from the retard they've been shaped they proof bulk proof is anywhere from four to six hours depending on room temp uh, or mixing temp and then our starter feeding i alternate um, mostly because i'm not necessarily happy with the bread uh, on a consistent basis so i'm always trying something slightly new but we feed usually every 12 hours and then i will do another feeding usually maybe three hours before I'm using the starter. So I'm trying to catch it on its way up rather than waiting till the starter peaks and maybe starting to fall. I'm trying to catch it as it's just over doubled and still climbing. And still climbing. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Mm Because I've been baking mostly with, well, and it's really sort of hit and miss 
as you know, with life happening, yeah. right? <laughs> so sometimes it peaked a while ago yeah. and has fallen. But I haven't really experimented much with a starter that is still in the peaking process. So why do you do that? What's the what's the benefit to that? I don't know if it's it it's my mathematical mind. It's just never made any sense to use a starter that's already peaked. I want something that's still on its upward climb as I introduce it to uh, to my auto lease. So again, and, and that's something that we're playing with all the time as well, whether we're auto leasing just with flour and water, mm-hmm. uh, whether we're auto leasing with flour, water, and levain, trying to sort of narrow in obviously on, on a standard of doing it, but trying to alternate from day to day and see if I can pick up uh, discrepancies between the two and then extending the the auto lease anywhere from a half an hour to up to three hours and watching gluten development on its own through that period sure, uh, sure. without any mixing is pretty neat and then just playing around with the different types of doughs and using it where it's appropriate. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is pretty amazing if you if you go with a long auto lease and it, it just, like, it is extensible after, yeah. you know, just sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, and that's, that's the neat thing about bread. Uh, there is no wrong way to make it. There's just different things that you need to keep in mind based upon the finished product, how you want it to turn out, and then how you want sort of your day to look based off of when the, the dough starts mixing to when it's finished. Uh, how many turns do you want to do? Do you want to do any at all? Do you want all that development made through the, the turning process? Every day is different. I always wonder if the customer sees it like I do or if they pick up on those discrepancies. Um, but for the most part, there hasn't been too many complaints. Right. So right. Uh, we'll, we'll just keep moving forward in a slightly randomized way at the moment. Fair enough. Yeah. How many, what is your production? And I know it, it probably, I think I know, it probably changes day to day based on type of bread, type of flour, what loaves you're putting out. But mm-hmm. can you give us a general sense of what the production is? Um, during the week, I'd say Tuesday is, Tuesday is basically a Friday. Friday and Saturday, are, are, those three days are, we're sitting around 100 loaves. Wednesday, Thursday at the moment, we're probably around yeah, 60 to 75 um, and again, our, our goal is to sell out. We don't, we don't want day old bread. We don't sell day old bread. It's finding that balance uh, and being nine months in. I'd, I'd rather be sold out of bread at 12 o'clock. Um, right. And <laughs> some, some days we are. Um, most days we, we're getting it pretty good so that we, if we do have bread left, we might have a loaf or two. So yeah, that, just trying to find that. And then of course with winter on its way out and spring and summer on its way in the population will probably almost double here in a few months so i think in the summer we'll be somewhere around 150 to maybe 200 on weekends but again that's maybe somewhere where we differ from uh, a production bakery that's not necessarily what we want to do we want to keep that idea of the business evolves throughout the day so yeah it's a change in uh, in evolution that we're in the process of making so that we can offer a few more things that are interesting to us because uh, just like the bread and the coffee it's scratching our own itch to produce what we want to, to eat and enjoy so right right which has got to keep you motivated through those 14 hour days right <laughs> yeah that's that, that's totally the idea uh, being bored at work or being bored at your job whether you're an owner operator or an employee 
uh, life should be interesting. So yeah, uh, yeah. we have a, a customer base that's willing to play along. So right. yeah, we'll, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Right. I mean, the very first interview I did for this podcast was of a friend and my, my main chef mentor, Andrea Carlson, in Vancouver, mm-hmm. who has Burdock & Co. Yep. And I asked her, because it, it seems to me that, and I have so much respect for her because she does this, but I, I sometimes worry she makes things so hard on herself because she's so meticulous about her sourcing, so meticulous about creation and production. And so I asked her about that, and she said, well, you, it's, it's like, why else would you do it? you got to do it the way you want to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, and the conversation also comes up often about how many hours we're here, or what time we get up, and I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say every day is easy. Um, no, but when my alarm goes in the morning, whether it's at midnight or it's at five o'clock, I'm excited to get up and, and get at the day because it's important to me what we're doing. So, yeah, whether it's whether it's sourcing and always trying to find better products or just not being completely content with whatever it is we're doing that day and being willing to adjust it on the fly. Yeah, it's it's of great importance to the finished product, but it's also important for, I guess, mental health and sanity to keep things interesting and evolving and, yeah. Right, and creating what you want to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Which, which gets lost from time to time. You kind of falling into the trap of, you know, hearing someone say something about whether it is, you know, the, the crust is too thick. Or you should make this. Or... Yeah, and those, those things kind of weigh on you heavily from time to time or weigh on me heavily. But then there's always a, a customer that comes in and genuinely thanks us for doing exactly what we're doing, uh, which just reinstills that idea that, you yeah. know, we're, we, we came to, uh, to create something that we, we believed was wanted. Um, and it's turned out to be uh, something that people didn't even know that they wanted until it was here. Right. So, right. yeah, it's just you, you've got to follow your in- instincts and yeah, keep yeah. keep going forward in your own uh, your own lone wolf way. <laughs> yeah, love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about plans for the future, and I appreciate that it literally is an organic business and evolving but I know that you're already distributing just down the coast in in my hometown of Gibson's because I've seen your product at the Gibson's Butcher which was uh, really exciting to see Um, is there other distribution happening now there's been talk uh, of other avenues whether that's wholesaling to restaurants or other stores at this point I'm not really willing to commit to any of those prospects just because, again, we're, we're still defining what we believe in, what we want our life to look like. We've tossed around the idea of opening other locations, whether they be on the Sunshine Coast or perhaps even in Vancouver. So things evolve day to day. Ideas keep being passed around and opportunities keep presenting themselves, which is, I think, to us, more important than us forcing something to exist. Just being willing to listen and, and to say yes when the, the opportunity feels right and being willing to say no when the opportunity doesn't feel right and isn't in line with what we believe in. And Jenna, any preferences from you as to where you might like to see it grow? I'm, I'm guessing, because I'm very new to the coast, I've only lived here for a year and a half and I, and I can't imagine living anywhere else. I absolutely love it. So as somebody who grew up here, I'm guessing you feel that exponentially. So how excited are you to be back and, and where do you see Lone Wolf going? Yeah, uh, super excited to be back. Moving back was, I was very hesitant. Growing up in a small town has its perks and has its disadvantages as well. But I really didn't realize how much 
I love this place until I came back. And yeah, so that was super refreshing. We, we had tossed around the idea of wanting to open in Roberts Creek initially, but nothing was uh, available in Roberts Creek mm-hmm. just because the uh, commercial space is quite minimal. It's, it's really tight, yeah. yeah. So then it was like, well, I guess Seashell feels, feels really good. So then we decided Seashelt, and uh, I would say I don't really think we have a preference. We've tossed around the idea of potentially opening and placing Gibson's as well, just to have a place in Gibson's and Seashelt have a presence in both. Right. I support that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we've tossed around the idea of Paul River as well. Yeah. So I don't think there's, there's a preference. I think it's just a, a feeling of if it's if it's the right space and the right time. Well, just a couple more questions. And let's, let's step out of the premises here virtually and tell the listeners, because there will be some who are on the Sunshine Coast and some who are going to be visiting the Sunshine Coast, if, if and when you two get a day off from the business, what does it look like? What, what are some of your favorite things to do on the coast outside of work? There's a couple good breweries. Uh, that uh, <laughs> that's we, an excellent we, answer. <laughs> we like to hit up sure. um, on a later Saturday afternoon once we finish up here, to name a few. Brickers Cidery up in uh, West Sheelt, so they have a amazing outdoor space that's kind of uh, situated on their not kind of it is situated on their farm, and uh, so that's always a, a good go-to on a Saturday for us. Or Persephone, which is a brewery based out of Gibson's, uh, just as you come off the ferry. Yeah, they they both offer a very similar experience. Quality of product is is beautiful at both of them. Where we live in Upper Roberts Creek, we live on five acres uh, that that backs onto Crown Land. So I think after spending a number of years in, in big cities, moving here and just being able to just sit and not have to go anywhere, I think living in the cities, we were always, on our days off, we always found ourselves needlessly driving around with this feeling of looking for something that we just couldn't find. And when we do get a day off here, I think a lot of it is just spent sort of around our property, walking the dogs, having coffee. Yeah, and and then obviously in the summer, heading down to the beach. um, Sure. Roberts Creek Beach is beautiful, nice and quiet, getting into the water. Yeah, life is life is very different here than it was in the city. Um, sure. Do you find you have more time for physical activity? I ask because you both look so darn fit that I can't believe that the only thing you're doing on your days off is going to a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we both we both grew up as uh, as childhood athletes. Um, okay. And that that did extend for Jenna, it's extended to present day. So Jenna's a track cyclist. Okay, uh, all right. <laughs> pursuing the uh, 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Oh my goodness! Um, Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and you go to the cidery, sure you do. <laughs> I have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, fitness has literally always been a part of both of our lives. So at our home, we have a, a home gym. We've got a rower, we've got lots of barbells, kettlebells. I think without some aspect of fitness, I mean, mine is pretty limited at this point. Running around in the bakery from one end to the other keeps me <laughs> about as fit as I can be right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, 
again, it's quality of life, and that was instilled in us as, as kids. So for most people, I think working out and being physically fit takes time out of their life, and I think for both of us, it's it's just another part of life. It's it's like breathing and eating dinner and right. it's what going you do. to bed. It's, yeah. it's something that you do every day, consciously or, or unconsciously, and... I don't think there's ever been a time in either of our lives since we were children that that wasn't, you know, just what we did. Like, even if we go on a weekend, we take kettlebells with us. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're the crazy people in the parking lot doing, you know, kettlebell swings or riding our bike on the ferry hooked up to a trainer. Um, <laughs> I love it. Because there's, there's only so many hours in the day. And there's, right. You, th- there's you things gotta to do. you got to utilize all so. of them. Yeah. Got to get it in. Jenna, what does your, I, I, and really, I'm honestly just curious, but I think this is fascinating. What does your training schedule look like? Are you, um, and, and do you, where do you ride? So when, I, when we wake up, Jacob uh, pretty much comes straight to the bakery, and uh, then I will get a workout in uh, immediately. So... If I don't get it done in the morning, there's no hope in the evening sure. after being here for 12 hours. So every morning I'll either jump on the bike or lift some weights. And then, uh, yeah, I can get most of my training done from my house. And there's a track in Burnaby. So okay. it's a wooden yeah. track. Mm-hmm. And uh, so well, I, I head I, over there once a week to ride the track. Right. It's it's indoors? It's indoors, okay. yeah. I, yeah. I haven't been there, but I have some friends who ride track just okay. very recreationally, yeah. Yeah. and I think they've told me about the place. Yeah. yeah, so I'll head over there once a week to get a good training day in there and then run some errands for the bakery as well. But most of it I can, can get done from home and usually in the morning, yeah. Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Those are all of my questions. Thank you both. Jenna and Jacob for taking the time for welcoming me into your kitchen. I really appreciate it. And and it was just delightful to learn more about Lone Wolf. So thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Thank you so much for coming into our home. I really enjoyed that start to season two of Cheftimony. Jenna and Jacob are such friendly and genuine people, and they're doing something really worthwhile with Lone Wolf Bakery. It's wonderful to know that they're building their business in my little corner of British Columbia. As always, if you have a comment or a question for the show or a chef or a lawyer you'd like to hear interviewed, I'd love to hear from you. You can message me on Instagram or Facebook or send me an email to graham at cheftimony.com. I'm Graham McLennan, and I'll see you next time right here on Cheftimony. Cheftimony.